Well, I want to say uh, welcome to you. We're glad that you are here. My name is Justin. I get to be one of the pastors here on staff. And today we are continuing in our series, What Would Jesus Actually Do? And so uh, we're walking through the Gospel of John together. We're seeing those, those items. What would Jesus do? Last week, Rick walked us through this idea of slowing down in life a little bit, about not having to rush everywhere, about living in unhurried Life and how important that is. And today we're going to continue on that same thought and just take it another step further. But I want to share with you this ver- this um, quote from John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Rick shared this quote last week, but I want to remind us of this. There is a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. By that definition, Jesus himself was busy. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. Now, I know last week that was helpful for me. That made me think a lot about my own schedule. I hope it did the same for you. We need to start to slow down in life, but here's why. We live an unhurried life so we can devote time to what is actually urgent, See, we need to be able to remove some of the clutter so that we can actually devote time to what is really a priority, to the things that are actually important in our lives. What we're going to see today is the things that are important are the things that are important to God, and that is people. And that's why we need to act with a sense of urgency. Here's what I want you to see, too, and we'll see this in in our reading today, that death brings about a sense of urgency. It does. You know, uh, my family... Over the past year or so, we have experienced a great amount of loss when it comes to death. A great amount. And one thing that I have learned through that is just this, that it brings about a sense of urgency. It was uh, just over a year ago that I got that emergency phone call. I was actually here at the church. I was upstairs. And it said, you need to come home right now. And I ran out of this building as fast as I could, which is not very fast, but I ran out as fast as I could. And I needed to get home to be there with my family and to care for them. And then a couple months later, we got another phone call that woke us up in the morning and said, you need to get to the hospital. And we jumped out of bed and we got dressed as quick as we could. We got the house situated, the kids set, and we drove off to the hospital as quick as we could. See, it brought about the sense of urgency. But then it's not the deaths itself that always bring about the sense of urgency. It's, it's the after the fact. It's what impact it has on us. And so as we sorted through some of the details of those deaths, and as we worked through those matters, what Lindsay and I learned is that we don't have all those matters taken care of ourselves. And so we're looking through them and we said, hold on, wait a minute. These wills, like that's a good idea. We should have some of those. You know, we should, we should get those. And so that created the sense of urgency in us to have a, a will. And then as we looked at our own family, we realized that we needed to start prioritizing more time with our family, specifically our kids. And so it created, again, this sense of urgency. How much time are we spending with our children? Are we making sure that we're impactful parents, that we're influential parents, that we're setting our kids up for success, and not just success in life, but success in their faith, in their relationship with Jesus? And so, man, we've, we've taken a whole new turn in how we're approaching our parenting. 
In fact, we took a whole lot of thought over this summer and just thought through those things of, of how much more time do we really have with our kids. And not, not time as in we're going to pass away any second, but how much time do we have until our, our kids actually move out of the house? Steve Van Horn is going to take us through a parent-child dedication later in today's service. And, and we're going to talk about just that, that we as parents we have a limited amount of time. And so we've thought through that time ourselves. How, how, how much left do we really have with our kids? Before they move on, they go away to college or they move out and get married. And so that all stemmed from a death. That's where it all started. It brought about this sense of urgency in us. And each one of us can experience that when we experience a death. But what I, what I want you to understand is that it does the exact same thing in Jesus as well. As Jesus is approaching his death, it brings about a sense of urgency in him. We're going to see that in John 12. That's what we'll be today. Go to your Bibles, John chapter 12. And what you'll see is, is, this is some of the stuff we're going to pass over in John 12. But in verses 7 and 8, what happens? Mary's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. And then everyone is getting all bent out of shape. And they're saying, Mary, do you know how much money that is? I can't believe that you're spending all that. And what's Jesus say? He says, you cheapskates. He says, this is, this is preparation for my burial. Jesus knows that his, his death is about a week away. He knows that it's coming. And so he sees his death is coming. In verse 15, this is the triumphant entry. This is what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town on the burden-bearing animal of a donkey. It's symbolic of the fact that he is the burden-bearing king. He knows what burden he is about to, to carry for each and every one of us. Jesus is well aware of the prophecy. He's well aware of the fact that when he's coming into town, what he's coming for. He knows that his death is soon. And then in verse 23, he actually predicts his death. He says, this is coming. Jesus is well aware of his death. And what we'll see is that it kind of changes his tone a little bit. Because now Jesus is speaking with a sense of urgency. And so here's where we pick up in verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? Which, who wouldn't pray that way, right? If, if we knew our death was coming, we would say, God, can you say, especially the kind of death that Jesus was about to experience? Of course we would pray that way. But look at what he says. But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. This is the very reason I came. Do you understand that what Jesus is saying? He says, listen, I, any one of us, if we, if we had that kind of death coming towards us, we would want to get as far away from it as possible. But he knows what it means. He understands the importance of it. And he says, this is the very reason I came. He could go into the absolute worst situation. And as we look through, what would Jesus actually do? What if we were able to understand this kind of perspective which, with each and every place that we go to? As you drive into work in the morning and, and you get to work and you park your car and have you ever done this where you just kind of like put your head down and you sigh and you say, what am I even doing here? I don't do that here at the church, by the way. I, I love my job. But I know that feeling. I, I, I understand that. What if we changed our perspective and said, I know exactly what I'm doing here. I know the reason why I came. It's to bring glory to the Father. 
What if, you, what if you built a habit inside of yourself so every time you showed up in a new setting, you could answer that. You could say, what am I doing here? I know the exact reason that I'm here. It's to bring glory to the Father. When your kids have practices three times a week, games are one thing, right? Games are exciting. But when you have to go to practice three times a week and you say, what am I doing here? What if you changed that and you said, I know the exact reason why I'm here. It's to bring glory to the Father. And what if that changed the way that you interacted with the other parents and with the coaches and you said, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to bring glory to the Father. The holidays are coming up. and Some of you are dreading them. And you're saying Thanksgiving dinner with crazy cousin Eddie and, and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve with the, those people that I just can't stand. You don't even understand. My, my family is toxic. They're bitter. They're all these things, right? Everything turns into an argument. Everything is ugly 100% of the time. But what if you knew the exact reason why you were there was to bring glory to, to the Father? And, and you approach the holidays just a little bit different. At Thanksgiving, you actually gave thanks to what God is doing in your life. And you shared that with your family around you. Or, or at Christmas, when you can point to, hey, this is how God has been good to me time and time again. I know the very reason that I came. It's to bring glory to the Father. See, Jesus has this change in tone, and this is because he's aware of his death. But Jesus isn't just aware of his death. He's aware of our deaths as well. And so he's going to take a little bit of a turn here um, because here's what he understands, that each and every one of us, our life here is temporary. You all know that. You all understand that, that each and every one of our lives, not, there's not one of us that is escaping death from this life. And Jesus speaks to that. He says, my light will shine for you just a little longer, being aware of his. And so he says, walk in the light while you can, understanding that our death is, is there, there's a time where we won't be here anymore. He says, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light. Again, look at this. While there is still time, and then you will become children of the light. Jesus understands that we only have so much time. And so he says, listen, I, I've done everything I can to show you who I am, who the Father is, how much he loves you, how much he wants to be in a relationship with you. He says, my, my light is here for you. But ultimately, you need to decide. You need to make a choice. And it's our prayer here at Hope Church that each and every one of you would have made that choice, that you would want a relationship with God the Father that you would see how much he really does care for you, how much he really does love you. But you need to make a choice. You need to make that decision. And Jesus says there, there should be an urgency in us to do that. And then for those of us that have already made that decision, there should be an urgency for the people around us. But despite Jesus showing this, look at what John says. He says, despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe him. They still chose not to believe him. And think of this, the miraculous signs. That's the seven signs that we've walked through in this series where Jesus turned water into wine and he fed the 5,000 last week. We saw how he raised Lazarus from the dead. People saw that, they're aware of that, but they still 
rejected him. Even what we passed over in chapter 12, as Jesus said, hey, I'm here to bring God glory. You know what happened? God actually spoke down from heaven. It said, John said it sounded like thunder and basically said, do what Jesus tells you to do. Listen to him. And people heard that. And then they still come back and they, they say, oh, no, I don't believe that. That's crazy to me, right? That doesn't make sense to me. Because if I heard God coming down from heaven, hey, watch out, you know, like I would be there. But they, they didn't. But you know, it's not really any different than what we experience today. We see that God still performs miracles. Jesus still performs miracles to this day. We've seen him turn lives upside down, completely change the trajectory of someone's life. We've seen him heal broken relationships in a way that only he could. We see him heal physically people who are sick and they get better and there's no explanation to it other than God. We see God provide time and time and time again. But people still reject him. You know what John, John goes on to say and he says, hey, this was prophesied about. They knew that this was coming. The prophet Isaiah, he actually spoke to this hundreds of years before, and he said, hey, Jesus, this is going to happen. It's going to be almost like people's hearts are hard. And it's still going on today. But you know what's so amazing about this? Is that Jesus still put the effort out. He still tried. He knew that people were going to reject him. Wouldn't it have been easier to just say, oh, man, those people, they don't want to hear it. I don't need to go through all this. What, what's the point? But he still pushed forward. He still went through with it. And for us, as people continue to say no to Jesus today, we still need to put the effort in and follow the example that Jesus showed us and actually try and reach out to people and show them how much God loves them. You know, one of the best lessons I ever learned from Rick here at the church, when I was new on staff here, Rick sat me down and he said, hey, we're going to have some amazing opportunities here. He said, we're, we're going to be able to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. We're going to be able to invite people into ministry, into something bigger than themselves. We're going to ask people to partner with us and help us move the ball down the field. He said, sometimes we're even going to just have to ask people for help. He said, please don't ever assume the no when you make those asks. See, we all have this fear of rejection that's kind of built inside of us. And what we like to do is we like to assume someone's no before they give it to us. And we come up with all these reasons. Oh, they're too busy. They're, they're too, like their schedule is just crazy. They wouldn't be interested. And so instead of making the ask, we just say no for them. And we assume the no. But Jesus didn't assume the no. He, he knew the no was coming in some instances. And he still reached out. He still tried to show people how much God loves them. We need to stop assuming the no. We need to do what we can to, to show people that God truly does love them and we need to ask them, we need to invite them. And you know what I've learned as I've followed that instruction, not assuming the no, is that people want to say yes a whole lot. That people want to be involved in something bigger than themselves. That people are looking to be, to be received by a God who loves them and cares for them. That people want to, to be able to help out in different ways. When we don't assume the no... Man, life is so much more exciting because we get to see God at work when we do that. 
And, and you know, like, you don't do this in every area of your life. A lot of you in this room, you're married or you're dating. You didn't assume the no, right? You, you took the chance. The students would say, you shot your shot, right? Like, you, you did what you could to be able to, to ask out that person. I, I asked out Lindsay. I thought she'd say no. She didn't. She gave me a pity date. And then, and then at the end of that, I asked her again for a second date. She gave me a second pity date. Now we've been married 18 years, right? But I didn't assume the no. I thought maybe it was a possibility. But I still went forward with the ask. This is what Jesus is doing. He knows that there's going to be some people that say no. But he knows that it's worth the ask each and every time because there are people that will say yes. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. He says, how can they call on him, meaning Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And look at this. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, we play an important role in this. We need to be willing to tell other people about God and his love and his son. And then look at what the apostle says. I want you to see this, because I I just think this is amazing. He says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Don't don't understate that, underestimate what that is. That when you share your faith with someone else, Paul says, the the scriptures say, God says, that's a beautiful thing. That's That's a wonderful thing. That's an amazing thing. Don't sell that short. That is such a good thing that each and every one of us gets to be a part of. And God sees it as good. And and I don't know about you, but I want to please our God. He says this is a good thing. But Jesus still got rejected. He knew the rejections were coming. So here's how he responded. He shouts at them. He says, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. Now, this is a really important verse because what Jesus is doing is he, he's putting him and God as the same. He, I don't know. The, I'm going to say the wrong word and someone's going to yell at me for my grammar. But he's equating the two. Um, and so it was like, right? Yes? No? All right. Yes. And so, um, so he's, he's equating the two, right? He's saying that they're equal. And so he says, if you trust me, you trust God. If you trust God, you trust me. And this is a big deal because up to this point, uh, what some people, they know Jesus and they, they, they've known him like this, right? The disciples, they put their trust in him. But others, they might just think that he was a really good teacher. Others are thinking that he's a prophet. Some of them might have even heard him refer to himself as like the son of man or something like that. And so they might say, well, he's the son of God, but is he actually God? And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you, and he's speaking to their culture, to what they know about God, to their fear of God. He says, if you trust me, you're trusting God. But if you reject me, you are rejecting God. And so he, he's putting some emphasis behind what he's sharing with them about this plea of making a decision now, about this urgency of what he's asking them. And he's saying, listen, if you, if you reject me, you are rejecting God. This is a big deal. And he goes on to explain it like this. He says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. He says, there's going to be a good change for you. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. Now, this is one of those hard things. Like, we don't, we don't always love to talk about this because it's not as pretty as some of the other scriptures. But Jesus is trying to be very clear. 
that the reason he's saying you need to do this while you still can is because there is a consequence for not choosing him and not choosing God. And he says there's going to be a day of judgment. And that for some of us who have chosen that relationship, we will have eternity forever, right? That's what eternity means. With God, with his son Jesus, and with his spirit. But for others of us who have rejected, have denied, that there's an eternity, and it's apart from God. And we're not clear exactly what that looks like, but what we do know is that it is not a a very pleasant place at all. That's like the most uh, easy way to put that. That it's going to be hard. It's going to be miserable. It's going to, it's going to, we don't have time to get into all that. Um, But here's, you need to make a decision. And Jesus, again, he points to why do you need to make a decision? Because there is, there is a result of your decision. Now, some of you as Christ followers, you've made this decision already. And I I would just, here's how this challenges me. Is that someday I'm still going to have to answer to God. I'm still going to have to go before him. And if God and me are standing face to face and he says, Justin, how come you never told your neighbors about me? How come you never told you know, that side of your family that you've always struggled with? How come, you never, how come you never shared my love with them? I don't know about you, but the last thing that I ever want to do is tell God that I was too busy, that, that my schedule was just too hectic. And I say, oh, God, you know how it is, you know, like I just got busy, I got in this mess. And, and no, man, I, that's the last thing that I want. I want. I want to be able to go there and say, God, I did everything I could because there is a sense of urgency because your death for me wasn't just for me, but it was for each and every person. We got to get better at that and not, not put people in a box and not say, well, I can do this while, I'm, while I have the time. We need to build the time into our schedules to be able to care for what's urgent. Jesus says this. He says, listen, I'm not speaking on my own authority. So he says, I, I, listen, I know that that's a lot. I know that's hard. This isn't my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And look at this. He says, and I know his commands lead to eternal life. They lead to something good. They lead to something more. And then what's he say? So I say what the Father tells me to say. You know, we're going through this series, what would Jesus actually do? And we ask that question, what would Jesus actually do? Well, he'd do whatever the Father tells him to do. And if we're going to do whatever the Father is telling us to do, that means that we actually have to have an awareness. We actually have to know what the Father is telling us to do, which means that we need to spend time with the Father, that we need to spend time with God each and every day, that we need to be in our Bibles and actually reading them and actually getting to understand them more and, and um, you know, getting past the verse of the day. The verse of the day, okay, let me stop. The, the YouVersion Bible app, I love the YouVersion Bible app. I love the verse of the day. It's a great starting point. But it's just that. It's a starting point. And some of you have been on that starting point for a really long time and you need to take a step further to really digging in your Bibles and seeing the stories as a whole and seeing how they intertwine so that way you can actually understand God's character and what it is that he's telling you to do. So that way we can say we do whatever the Father tells us to. But then there's the next step of actually doing what the Father says, what God tells us to do. And that's a hard part. That's a challenge, right? Because we can grow in our understanding. We can grow in our knowledge. And those are all good things. 
But at some point, we actually have to put it into action. I once heard a pastor give this illustration about it. He, um, he, he was talking about his daughter. I have a daughter. Her name's May. She's 14. It'd be like if I went up to May and I said, Hey, May, go clean your room. And May goes up to her room. She comes back a couple hours later and she says, Dad, I, I heard what you said. You said, go clean your room. And I want you to know that I gave that a whole lot of thought and I've really been thinking about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. And it's so much so that I'm going to invite some friends over. We're going to sit in a circle. We're going to talk about what it would look like if we cleaned our room. Um, We're even going to learn how to say it in Greek. And this pastor says, this doesn't make any sense. But this is what we do with the scriptures. We, we, we look at them, we study them, we analyze them, we say, what would this actually look like if this happened? It would be amazing. And then we don't actually do anything with it. And it loses so much value because we stopped at understanding and at knowledge instead of actually putting it into practice. See, if we're going to do whatever the Father tells us to do, then we actually need to take that step and put it into action. And that means that we need to have time in our schedules. Let's come back to where we started. An unhurried life is so we can devote uh, time to what is actually urgent. We need to be able to have that freedom, that availability in our schedule to actually do what God is asking us to do. So when when your friend calls up and they're telling you how depressed they are, how much they're hurting, you don't rush them off the phone and say, hey, like, that's great, but I'm really busy right now. No, you can, you can say, hey, you know what? Let's, um, I'll be over in half an hour and let's talk about this. And, and what kind of coffee do you want? Let me bring a coffee over for you. And then you can actually devote time to someone that's in pain, to someone that's struggling. It's when your neighbor across the street is telling you how much they're struggling in their family or how much they're struggling in their marriage. And, and you don't just pull one of those, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep, oh, I hear you, yeah, oh, same, same, right? You can actually engage in the conversation, and maybe you can even redirect them a little bit, maybe give them a little, a little help that you found in God's, in God's Word. And you can tell them, hey, here's something that God has shown me in my own marriage. Here's something that, that's helped me. Here's a, a godly principle that's helped me in my life, instead of just pushing them off. Some of you are saying, well, my neighbors would never have conversations like that with me. Maybe it's because they know you never have time for them. Because I know in our neighborhood, we have conversations like that. But you need to make time for your neighbors. You need to make time for what's most urgent. Your families. Do you go to work and then work some more, squeeze in your chores so that way you can get as much TV time as possible? Or are you actually showing your family God's unconditional love? So that way, your kids, they can understand what that really means. And you can, you can show them, this is how much God loves you. And this is why we do the things that we do in our family. So that way, you can understand that. Are you actually devoting time to what is actually urgent? Here's what I'm hoping, that we can all get better at that. We can all improve in those ways. And what I'm going to ask us to do, let's walk through some next steps so that way we can all take steps forward. So go ahead, uh, grab those connection cards that are on the seat in front of you. If you're watching online, South County, you can use the Church Center app or that QR code. And let's walk through these next steps together. Here's the first one. This week I'm going to get back into the practice of praying for one. Here at Hope Church, we pray for one. And here's what that means. And it's really, really simple. It means God... We pray like this. God, show me one person today that I can demonstrate your love to. That's it. God, show me one person today that I can demonstrate your love to. And we're asking, would each and every one of you pray that way daily? Because here's what we find. 
is that God answers that prayer time and time again. Because why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't, if God sees people as someone that he wants a relationship with, if he sees them as urgent, if Jesus sees them as urgent, and we're saying, God, help us to show love better, of course God's going to answer that prayer. So let's start praying that way. If you're not already, God, show me one person today that I can demonstrate your love to. But here's the warning. If you start praying that way, you better be ready because God is going to answer that prayer. And so you better not get to the point where God puts someone in your path or your neighbor comes over and you say, I don't have time for this. You need to live that unhurried life so that you can actually give time to that when God answers that prayer. Here's our other next step. I'm going to evaluate my life to see what is actually urgent. And I'll remove some of the clutter and ask God to give me a sense of urgency about the things I should actually be devoting my time to. It's about making space in your life. But it's also about a change of heart. Because maybe some of you are sitting here and you're saying, I know you're saying that this is urgent, but I don't feel that same burden that you feel. I see that at some people in the church, but I don't feel that way. And I would ask, would you just ask God to change your heart towards that? Because we saw that Jesus, he says, while you still can, while there's still time, Jesus felt urgently about it, which means that that's where his heart was. And what we want to do is we want to align our hearts as closely to Jesus as possible. And so could you pray that way and say, God, I don't have this burden, but would you give me this burden so I can see that the people you've put in my life really are what's urgent, what's important. Would you allow God to do that kind of work in your life? Let me pray for you in that way. Uh, Father, uh, we do say thank you for how much you love each and every one of us. But we know that your love goes beyond us individually and that it uh, goes to others as well. And so help us to have that heart that cares for them the way that you do. Help us have that heart that hurts for them the way that yours does at times. God, would you do that kind of work? So that way, uh, when we pray, God, we would be open to what you put before us. And God, we start today by just praying and saying, God, show us one person today, this afternoon, that we can demonstrate your love to. God, we pray that, that you would help remind us to pray that way each day this week. God, show us one person today that we can demonstrate your love to. We pray this in Jesus' name.